0: Hello, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are now known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Andrea
1: Cunliffe. And I'm Cena Pazila-Hickey. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. First, Moses Nagel interviews peace activist Fred Nagel about the situation in Gaza and Israel. Then, Elizabeth E.P. Press profiles Troy City Council District 6 Democratic candidate Carol Harvin. Later on, Mark Dunley reports on the Fridays for Future weekly climate strikes coming up beginning this Friday in Albany and Schenectady. After that, Heather Kirk David Off speaks about stories around the campfire coming to Westminster Commons in Albany this weekend. And finally, October 17th is Black Poetry Day. And this week's Talking with Poets story highlights poet Anthony Ragler. But first, here are the headlines.
0: The Albany Common Council approved changes that made it easier for police to have people charged with loitering allowing them to rely upon sworn statements of witnesses rather than personal observation. The amendments to the city's anti-loitering ordinance passed Monday night 11 to 3.
1: The Times-Union reports that the various state and federal investigator, investigations of former Governor Cuomo and his administration have cost taxpayers at least $20 million in legal fees. These expenses continue to... Um, accumulate as the former governor defends himself in two sexual harassment lawsuits as well as uh, ongoing court battle over the lucrative deal to publish a book about his handling of the coronavirus pandemic.
0: Governor Hochul traveled to Israel on Tuesday to offer support amid amid its war with Hamas and its assault on Palestinians in Gaza. She said the purpose of the visit was to show the world that New York stands with Israel today, tomorrow, and forever. 500 Palestinians reportedly killed when Israel bombed a hospital. Meanwhile, more than 100 people, including Israeli citizens, Jews, Muslims, and faith leaders, rallied at the federal building to call for an immediate ceasefire and release of all hostages.
1: The Times Union reports that Albany County District Attorney David Soares directly tied the shooting death of a 21-year-old Albany man earlier this summer to the state legislature's refusal to modify the state's raise-the-age law, calling it, quote, legislative malpractice, end quote. Elias Gilbert, the 17-year-old who committed the murder, had a long history of run-ins with the law. Soares said the state's reform created what amounts to a farm system for teenage criminals by removing accountability for violent actions.
0: The former longtime chief medical examiner of Rhode Island backed the conclusion by Saratoga Springs Police that Daryl Mont, Jr. died from injuries, suffered in a nearly 20-foot fall from a downtown scaffolding. The plaintiff's attorney, however, questioned her expertise including her departure from her Rhode Island position in 2005 after an internal audit found that more than 1,500 autopsies had not been completed. She admitted has not examined any patients since her departure.
1: The decision last week by the Public Service Commission not to increase payments for existing renewable energy contracts could negatively impact on the effort the efforts to build a wind tower factory at the Port of Albany, which could create an estimated 300 jobs, and it could impact efforts to develop facilities at the Port of Quimans with an estimated 817, 870 jobs.
0: The Avocado website has listed 54 colleges that are notorious for high tuition costs, low graduation rates, and poor return on investment. Skidmore and RPI both made the list, though the better-known Princeton Review lists them among the best colleges. RPI was cited for its low graduation rate of less than 60% and high tuition costs. RPI students also complained about rigid academic requirements and lackluster campus facilities. Skidmore was cited as a poor return on investment, in high tuition costs in terms of salaries that graduates receive.
1: And that's it for the headlines.
0: So our first segment, Mid-Hudson activist Fred Nagel, is a member of the group's Mideast Crisis, Jewish Voices for Peace, and Veterans for Peace. He spoke with Moses Nagel on current events in Gaza and Israel.
2: There's so much swirling around and everybody I think right now is bathed in, you know, information of all kinds. You know, we're all subject to our own like kind of bubble of media and, and social media networks. So can you just start out by putting us a little in context? We're speaking Monday morning. Where are we in this conflict?
3: I think we've, we've passed a, a point that many of us hoped that we would never see that our country is supporting you know violent uh ethnic cleansing of well there's 2.3 million palestinians in gaza and i for one never thought israel would would do this and i never thought my country would support ethnic cleansing the, the idea of moving millions of people without food or water r- no resources no electricity no place to shelter the north of gaza is going to be obliterated uh much of it already is uh, how are these people these million people going to move through uh, an obliterated landscape without any food or water you know i've often thought about the trail of tears uh, I keep reading accounts of it and how it happened and President Jackson and the gold that was discovered on Cherokee land. You know, there's all sorts of things that go into it, but to round an entire people up and put them on a forced march out to Oklahoma where thousands of them died, I mean, how did our country do that? I mean, that, that that's always a question I ask. And I always hope that our country would have learned something in the hundreds of years since we ethnically cleansed, you know, all our native populations, probably killed 95% of indigenous peoples in our, our manifest destiny. And, you know, that's the name we give to to ethnic cleansing. I'm just sort of completely horrified that in my lifetime and in the country, you know, that I served as a as a soldier, would ever do something like that.
2: You know, any idea of some sort of international authority that has a line where it says countries, they handle their own affairs up to this line, but no further once they cross the line. It just seems like any idea that is, if not completely gone, disappearing by the hour.
3: Well, I mean, the UN Charter and the 1948 uh, Rights uh, Declaration specifically forbid uh, ethnically cleansing to occur. That's our international structure is to outlaw that behavior. And compare it to the Nazis. As a matter of fact, you know, all those uh, un- Universal Declaration of, of Human Rights is all based on what the Nazis did and and so is the Nuremberg tribunal protocol based on you know Nazi behavior so you wouldn't think that states would dare do this after the victorious troops uh in the second world war had laid down these international principles that countries weren't supposed to do this you know and and to see it come back just means that they're possibly is no uh, international law that the U.S. wants to follow. The U.S. talks about the rules of order, and that's used a lot. Uh, Blinken uses that a lot: the uh, international rules of order. But those rules aren't really written down anyplace, and there's only one meaning to the, the those rules: is the fact that the rest of the world has to do anything that the U.S. wants it to. Uh, so you see, you know, one state who is now disavowing adherence to any of those principles. That's scary too, because that leaves us in a position that fosters war. You know, I think the U S wouldn't be sending two uh, aircraft carriers in the Middle East if it wasn't considering the possibility of a much larger war over this.
2: As a member of Jewish voices for peace, how do you, express the calls for peace, nonviolence, and an end to civilians dying with the giant horror of this ongoing siege, occupation, and now invasion. Jewish Voice for Peace
3: talks a lot about the Holocaust and lessons from the Holocaust. So I'm not Jewish myself. Jewish Voice for Peace you know, accepts people who are pro-human rights and you don't have to be Jewish uh, to be in Jewish Voice for Peace. So I want to, you know, make that clear. I spend my time learning from Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, you know, learning uh, what the movements are in the Jewish people, uh, the attempts to take back their Jewish principles uh, of peace and justice. Many Jews don't want to have Israel the ideas of Israel and the the ethnic cleansing to represent Jewish people they don't want to be defined by this uh, belligerent state that disregards international law a large number of students who were in students for justice in palestine are jewish students you know and you know they're holding signs about israel being an apartheid state and uh, other Jews are holding signs saying we must protect Israel because Israel's U.S. best friend, and uh, they went through the Holocaust. So this is really, I think, Jewish Voice for Peace is is an attempt to, to clarify and demand that Jews have a right to define themselves. It's part of a wonderful thing that America offers people is Uh, that there are groups in America working for social justice. There has been for decades and decades. And I think it's a good time, you know, at this horrific uh, era that we remember there's people. That's part of American tradition as well, to to fight for civil liberties, freedom of speech, worker rights, uh, anti-racism, that's part of the good parts of this country.
2: The groups that you're involved with, do they have uh, any recommendations for people who want to be involved? And are they organizing anything locally? We're definitely
3: trying to put it together. Women in Black, New Paltz, for example, their Saturday demonstration last Saturday, they decided to completely devote it to the people in Gaza. And so in New Paltz, uh, we had the biggest, group we'd actually seen for a local vigil like that you know a big turnout and we held signs and i think at this point to remind americans that there are two points of view you have your governmental point of view which is so pro-israel that it almost seems unthinking it's like a this automatic response that uh we need to get out and remind people That uh, all America Doesn't support ethnic cleansing And violence by Israel That's important too Uh, So we've been calling up Our our representatives uh, Members of Congress We're going to start a campaign Of calling in So we hope to get um, Hundreds of people calling their Elected representatives We're setting up tables at various Farmers markets We're going to be doing the next one in Kingston Where we hand out flyers to people about Gaza and ethnic cleansing. And uh, actually, we've been doing that all summer. Every month, we pick uh, one or two farmers markets uh, to be involved with. And then we're talking about a mid-Hudson gathering to object to stores that are supporting Israel. Uh, For example, Job Lot, uh, announcing to their customers that they're collecting funds for the protection of our brothers and sisters in Israel not our brothers and sisters in, in Gaza or the West Bank uh, it's purely their brothers and sisters are uh, Israelis we'd love to any, have anybody join us uh, Mideast Crisis is just, just MideastCrisis.org Jewish Voice for Peace is a blog, if you go to MideastCrisis.org you can look at the Jewish Voice for Peace web page as well and we try to keep people informed on the web page. And lastly, i tell people to get their news from international sources like uh, Al Jazeera is one. There's several, The Guardian in UK. The US media is failing us terribly in this. It's uh, so completely pro-Israel and distorts so much of the coverage.
1: We have uh, been covering various stories on the conflict and events in Gaza and Israel. And if you're interested to learn more about the history and what's going on currently, you can find more stories at our website, mediasanctuary.org.
0: And next up on Election Watch, we're covering the Troy City Council District 6 this week. Democrat Carol Harvin is running against Republican Tom Casey in District 6. Today we hear the interview Elizabeth Press did with Tom Casey.
4: As we continue our election watch coverage, vying to replace Irene Soriento in District 6. A newly drawn district is Tom Casey running on the Republican ticket, a retired fighter fighter against Democratic retired state worker Carol Harvin. Today we're talking with Tom Casey. Tom, welcome to the Hudson Walk Magazine.
5: Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
4: So, Tom, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you and uh, why are you running for District 6 City okay.
5: Council? I was born and lived for a little while when I was young at Griswell Heights, building one apartment 30. Uh, I was lucky enough, blessed to be hired by the Troy Fire Department, uh, as was my father and uncle who were captains, and I became a captain paramedic myself. I was very thankful that the city hired me so I always said I was going to live in the city, and it was somewhat sacrifice uh, for things I had done as, in my youth. But uh, we stayed in the city. I was very happy. We uh, were part of the fabric of the, uh, of the East Side at Spring Youth Baseball and Hope 7 and School 16. You know, my wife was uh, a member of the PTA there. We were part of the community, and I, I was glad. And, you know, the thing is I stayed except for a brief stint, maybe a year and a half, where I had to live in Albany. I was young. I didn't have much money, and all I had was a motorcycle, and it was during the winter. So I moved in with my friend, and I lived in a Quail and First in Albany and Livingston Avenue and Clinton Avenue, which were great neighborhoods at the time. But at any rate, I've always been with the city. So the reason why I'm running is the second part of that story is that I grew up with the workforce. I worked with the workforce. So I already do, a lot of people call me for things. And I know who for them to contact because they don't necessarily know. The other day, an older friend of mine called me and said, Tom, a dog just got hit. I'm here. Dog just got hit in front of Sweeney Apartments. I called Kevin McDonough, the animal control officer, who I've known for years and years and years. And he came right down. The dog was dead. But that's what I like to do. And I told people, uh, I already drive through the alleys of South Troy. And I said, I can't wait to be a council person because I'm going to call and say, pick up this couch, pick up this mattress that's just laying in the road. I talked to a girl that I went to school with and she's showed me, this is a neighborhood I used to live in uh, just several years ago. I moved from uh, 4th Street to Madison Row up to Hillsview Heights and she's showing me bullet holes and she's showing me a drug house, which it's obvious. And I just want to help all these people. I'm retired. I want to be responsive. I just want to really help people people said like my street and there's several other streets that don't get snowplows till 24 hours after after the storm i had a call at the time my councilman ken zaluski i said ken i knew him he was my next door neighbor great guy him mike i said i need a snowplow then it came i was kind of angry that i had a call Mm
0: -hmm.
5: but i said if you don't get a snowplow call call me you got my number and somebody said well they come through but in another neighborhood, but they don't really clear i go. When the dust settles the next day or two after the storm, call me. And I, I that's the whole theme. I'm not trying to change the world here. I'm just trying to be responsive to these things people need and want.
4: Thanks for going into that a little bit. You're running to be the city council person for District 6. District 6 was recently redrawn for our audience who doesn't quite know or needs to be reminded. Could you give like us a broad stroke geographically yeah. of what's in your district? Real, real
5: easy. It's Canal Avenue south all the way at the end of Troy Stowe Avenue. It's all that neighborhood, neighborhood there. And it's basically Griswold Heights and Hillsview Heights. And that's pretty much it. Why was it redrawn? Well, they have to do it every few years, and you know, and they have to, you know, make sure that they have an equal number of people in e- each district, and it's kind of equally represented.
4: There's been, you know, like several sort of issues our city council has been addressing mm-hmm. in recent times, the lead pipes, you know, like you've talked about your neighborhood needs, but as you're going from door to door, I'm curious uh, what you're hearing and... What are the needs, as you understand them, of the people of District 6 in Troy right now?
5: Yeah, well, I really expected, it's funny you say about lead pipes, I really expected to have a lot of questions about that. And my hood friend Joe, lifelong friend, is the man who climbs into your basement. Hmm. And I thought, you know, he said, I'm always looking to, you know, inspect basements. Here's my work number. Nobody has really asked about that. Uh, I'm kind of surprised, but I do know. My ex wife is the lab director for the water plant, and, and they collect any. If anybody wants samples collected, they'll do it. But I haven't got any. But that it's been really kind of the things I already talked about crime, garbage, and snow plowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, simple stuff. I'm not hearing any of these other things. I thought I'd hear about garbage fee. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody has really uh, mentioned it. You know, the people in these one area are plant their new homes right across from Grizzle Heights. They pay a lot of taxes, and they feel they never get a snowplow. They don't feel, they feel left out.
4: Interesting, yeah. It's like the day-to-day that really is on people's minds. I was wondering if you were paying much attention to, you know, what's been happening at Harbor Point Gardens sure. up that it, way. I, I get,
5: when I go out my driveway, I see a Harbor Point Gardens. Yeah. And, and my friend Robin was, was booted out with everybody else. Luckily... She had somewhere to stay, but she told me about her friends that had lived in the hotel. And I re- re- uh, attended a meeting at the church. It used to be St. William's on the corner there with, with legal aid. That didn't seem to accomplish much for people. They were looking for a lot of answers, but there really wasn't a lot of answers. I guess in the end, we'll find out what happened there. I'm not sure, but it was really, uh, you know, an unfortunate situation. And it was really a strange situation at the meeting because he said, which I didn't know, they said, they're paying for these hotel rooms just out of the kindness of their heart and they don't have to. So every week we're wondering whether we're going to get renewed. Now this is over with now, but I was like, oh my God. So they were saying, you know, they want us to pay rent, but then there was the thing, you know, they're giving them a place to stay, maybe reduce rent. They don't give them rent. Maybe they can't afford the hotels. It, was, it wasn't as easy as I thought. It was very convoluted and sticky situation. I drive by there. Seven times a day, I might have seen a code guy with somebody there once. I never see anybody working. Where's the crew?
4: Yeah, I think most apartments by now, people have moved back in, but it sounds like there's still a host of situations that need to be updated there. But it's like, how do we not have another Harbor Point garden and another apartment complex? And these hearings that city council has actually been hosting in terms of trying to figure out what yeah. went wrong have been sort of uh, illuminating in these I, I'm not
5: sure the whole backstory, but I have to tell you that day, I saw everybody over there and I went over and there was a lot of people there, news crews, and my friend Robin showed me around the place. Some of the work, I'm not going to get into it. Some of the work, I just have never seen anything like that before. When you see flashing around windows, it's usually bent very nice. I don't know what this was they used, but it looks like they just bent it with their hands and it was some kind of shiny aluminum and the cracks were filled in by spray foam. I mean, the work was just, you know, just just ridiculous. It really was. It was no professionalism at all.
4: Part of like, what can we do in our city government to avoid replicating this problem in other houses? Like it can't be an isolated situation. Yeah, and
5: I think that stuff was pretty obvious. You know, I think... If you do have accountability, not only codes, but all the departments, you have a much better outcome.
4: As we look toward this election, why should our audience vote for you instead of Carol in this coming uh, election? I am
5: not uh, uh, in in any way a a negative campaigner. I've met Carol several times. If I uh, met her in the street or out getting something to eat, I certainly want to be the type of person... That's hey Carol, how you doing? How's everything? And you see that a lot when you're with Carmela Mantello. She knows every other side, and I've known everybody for years. I don't want to be disparaging or, or, or uh, you know, uh, talk bad or even have anything negative. I'd rather, you know, run a very positive campaign. All I could say for myself is, I almost feel like I'm doing the job now. I love it. I really do love driving around. I got magnets to say, "Elect." Okay, I like waving to people with my signs. I like giving, stop and giving my magnet. I like that. I want to just drive around the district and see what's going on. A lot of people, unfortunately, this day and age are behind a keyboard. And I said, I'm not going to respond by email. I might say, yeah, but I'm coming down. A guy last week said, Tom, on Lincoln Avenue, and I don't know what the solution is, unfortunately. There's kids there. Everybody runs a stop sign. I saw your video. Yeah. I was out there in the rain. Yeah. And I'm watching, and it is true. They roll right through. And he's still talking. I'm not sure what they do. I might buy a, a, a sign at Home Depot that says children at play, and I might stand out there one day. <laughs> but I don't know if that's going to make a difference. But I'm just saying, I'm going to be making phone calls. You know, I'm going to be making phone calls and trying to get this fixed. I'm going to see what's going on in the street. I'm going to see the sofas. I'm gonna see, and that's what I think I bring to the race is that I'm out and about, and I'm totally accessible. You know, in the old days, you knew your council person's name. I want people to know my name. And when they have a problem, call me, or if their friend has a problem, and they're going to say, you call Tom Casey, and my phone's there, and I'll answer it. What
4: didn't I ask you about Tom Casey that you want our audience to know?
5: I'm a Troy history buff. I actually used to bore people with my Troy history stories. It's such a great city. And I would just love to be on the council representing Troy and just helping the people. And I want them to feel comfortable in their neighborhoods and feel like somebody's representing them.
4: Beautiful. Tom Casey, the Republican candidate for Troy City Council District 6. Thank you for joining us on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine.
5: Thank you.
1: That was another candidate profile looking at Tom Casey for District 6 in Troy, uh, part of our Election Watch coverage. And there is a full page of the collection of the candidates who have been profiled. You can find that by looking up Election Watch on our website or just find that red bar on the homepage.
0: And for those of you just tuning in, I'm Andrea Cunliffe.
1: I'm Sina Bazila-Hickey, and you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network. On WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York.
0: Our third segment begins with Friday for the Future Capital District New York will hold the first of its weekly climate strikes on Friday, October 20th. The gatherings will be from 1:30 to 4:30 p.m. at Washington Park in Albany and Veterans Park in Schenectady. Local FFF organizer Zan Paime talks to Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine.
6: We're talking today with Zahn Plymail, who is one of the local organizers in the Capital District for Fridays for the Future, who uh, beginning to uh, hold weekly vigils on on Fridays uh, from 1.30 to 4.30 at Washington Park in Albany, and also Veterans Park in in Schenectady. So, you know, Zahn, certainly we've talked about Fridays for the Future before, but why don't you give a brief overview, you know, what is the purpose of Fridays for the Future?
7: Now yeah, um so Fridays for the future started with Greta Thunberg as you may know her very famous um when she was in high school she began striking uh on Fridays of course to bring attention to i guess glo- a growing climate catastrophe and just the feeling that students um globally but also in Sweden her her home country uh couldn't really guarantee a future for themselves um and wanted to stand in global solidarity with um areas across the world. So we're deciding to start, or we have already begun a chapter in the Capital Region. Um, and as Mark mentioned, in Washington Park, in Albany, and Veterans Park in Schenectady, we're hoping that this chapter can be encompassing of the Capital Region, and hopefully we'll have more locations upcoming in the future.
6: Now, many of the Fridays for Future groups that I've encountered are you know, primarily uh, high school students. Um, you know is there an age target for this particular organization and uh, how is the i guess organized and progressing so far or the outreach
7: yeah um well i'm 22 and i'm currently a college student um my co-co-organizer ryan is just turned 21 actually and he is a student at uh, schenectady community college i'm with Sydney albany so right now i would say it's at least the main organizers as i've mentioned we're both college age and college students but we would very much like to have more input and we're very happy to welcome in high schoolers as well. Um, I I feel we're working more the angle of it being a climate strike. Our first event, which happened on September 15th, we did have some folks from Chipotle join us. So it's been, it's at least our first event ended up being more of a space for members of the community to have frank discussions about the climate. Um, at least, is how it felt at Washington Park. Uh, so outreach so far has been primarily on social media and uh, mailing lists and things like that. I've been putting up a lot of flyers around town, um, and I feel like it's been going positively.
6: So you know, what what, what do you hope to accomplish by by holding these uh, weekly climate strikes in uh, Albany and Schenectady?
7: Well, at least for me so far, it has been really refreshing to be able to make time in my schedule and meet people face-to-face who I may have already been working with, may be working with in the future, may want to work with. Um, For me, I feel like, again, through this organization, I've met Ryan, who I did not know previously, and he's from Schenectady. So for me, I feel like I've I'm in the process of accomplishing goals of just meeting other other people in the region and seeing things from multiple different perspectives instead of the same old um, organizations that I've been talking with for the past year or so. Um, But additionally, I think it would be really, really nice to bring a highlight onto what the city of Albany is doing in regards to sustainability, but also some more social justice and housing issues, um, which I'm sure folks have heard about uh, in terms of solicitation laws and things like that. Um, I I feel like climate justice is social justice and vice versa. And I think just being in these public areas like Washington Park and Veterans Park, we can really connect to the community and one another.
6: Now, you know, climate change, certainly the older generations is, you know, pretty um, Guilty for you know not standing up to the fossil fuels, even though we know decades ago was a problem. But it's the younger people who, unfortunately, will have to deal with the accelerating you know extreme weather, you, you know, you know, what are some of the thoughts that uh, young people have uh, these days about climate change and how it impacts upon you know their future and their future plans?
7: I can I can only really I think definitively speak for myself, but the impression i'm getting is a lot of young people might fall into two camps me personally i find that it's a reality i have to work with and i don't i don't like viewing older generations as guilty i feel like it's more the systems that have been put in place are hard to dismantle and it we want it to happen all at once but obviously reality gets in the way i feel like it's more we're all responsible and we should all view the climate disaster as something we're we're facing together, um, and I think that's the that's the way for it. I I'm viewing things as a way where this is an opportunity for us to build a positive future. I don't know if you've heard the term solar punk, but solar punk. Um, there's a Shobani commercial that got very popular. This idea that we could coexist in in a, in a good climate with green technology, green jobs, and get to know our neighbors and build community resilience in that way. The other camp of people um especially young people I think might be tuning out what is happening because it is very stressful and again threatening to future plans and really the idea that we might be able to have a future um but yeah i, I don't I don't hold you responsible for the climate crisis mark or anybody else and anybody else gen x and boomer it's all it's all fine
6: um Now, you mentioned Fridays for the Future, you know, initially grew out of the um, weekly climate protest by uh, Greta Thornburg in uh, Sweden. It's been around, you know, you know, quite a while. Um, They, you know, played a major role in the organizing of the, you know, 75,000 people who marched on uh, September 17th uh, in New York City, particularly the New York City um, chapter, you know. You know how is Fridays for the Future, you know, worldwide or even you know New York State or or nationally doing these days? And is there a lot of um, I don't know discussion or coordination between the different uh, local chapters?
7: We did get some support from the uh, uh, Fridays for the Future USA overarching chapter, and we have been given toolkits and resources in the form of um, group chats, virtual webinars, things like that. Uh, For the most part, I would say Fridays for the Future is fairly decentralized in that anyone who wants to start their own chapter can fairly in a fairly straightforward way go ahead and do so and then begin organizing their own climate strikes um again we are unified under the idea that we need just climate action and we need it now and that youth should be involved in the decision making process for again what our future is going to look like Um, i I attended the September seventeenth March in New York City, and it was it was very a very welcoming atmosphere. I wore a Friday's for the future T shirt and multiple people New York City folks were excited excited to see that logo out there and happy to hear that the capital district is starting to get involved in having an active chapter now again, the capital region has around a million people in it it's It's not insignificant, and I feel like it's important for us to talk to one another about these issues, especially, you know, think globally, acting locally. That type of approach.
6: So we have about 90 seconds left. So Fridays in the Future are starting their weekly climate strikes this um, Friday, the 20th, uh, 1:30 to 4:30, Washington Park in Albany, uh, Veterans Park in Schenectady If people want to become, you know, active or supportive, you know, with the group, how best can they do that?
7: um well follow us on instagram at ff capital district new york is probably the best spot we also have an email account and an active action network account um our email account is fff capital district ny at gmail.com um but all are good ways to keep in touch with us email instagram and our action network
6: should uh, people showing up this weekend uh bring signs or, or anything
7: Oh, yeah. Um, feel free to bring signs. I will also be providing some, and we will have T-shirts to give out and stickers.
6: Well, uh, thank you very much, Zahn on, uh, Plymail, one of the local organizers for Fridays of the Future. And um, this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine.
0: And thank you, Mark Dunley, for this report. Next up, this weekend at Westminster Commons in Albany, There'll be a gathering of international storytellers for the Stories Around the Campfire event. Heather Kirk Davidoff is with us now. Hello, Heather, and welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you, thank you, Andrea. And tell me, what is Stories Around the Campfire event? What what's that? It sounds interesting. What's going on there? Well, it's uh, I think
8: maybe the fifth or sixth event that uh, we've done here in the center square of Albany as part of a series of community building events that we are calling Westminster Commons. They take place in and around Westminster Presbyterian Church where I'm the minister, but they're not uh, church events and they haven't been organized by the church itself. They are really hosted by the church, but they're a product of uh, the organizing efforts of a series of neighbors and friends who have just been feeling like we need to pull our community back together and meet people who we don't usually meet when we're walking down the street, find ways to connect and turn strangers into friends.
0: And what's happening? I mean, what, what are you presenting a campfire, well, this, that sounds interesting. What's that?
8: Yeah, it's we've done all sorts of different things as part of Westminster Commons music and uh, an outdoor concert, a, a day with clay, different things like that. This is maybe our most inclusive and our most creative event to date. We are um, going to have a series of campfires in the church's parking lot. Now, these I wanna say for my center square neighbors are not open fires. They are in portable fire pits, well-contained. But um, what could be more original to human community than sitting around a fire and sharing stories? That's what we're gonna do for an hour. And after that, we're gonna go inside the church and hear a, a series of stories by professional storytellers. And those include both some Americans uh, and an Afghan actor um, and uh, a young um, Arabic American woman who will be telling her story in Arabic and in English. We've got translators for six different languages for both parts of this event, a story circle just for kids, uh, which includes songs and games really a way for all of us to share our stories in whatever language and in whatever way uh, we feel comfortable doing so.
0: So why did you decide to create this event? Well,
8: this has really been um, uh, just sort of, it's a a way in which some of my and my neighbors' anxieties about um, the, the, problems of our democracy have kind of come together into being some positive and creative energy. We've just been having this feeling, like especially since COVID, but really before COVID and that time of social isolation, we've had this sense that we're losing some of the sense of civic belonging that really um, is the underpinning of a civic, Uh, engagement, uh, right, of of the underpinning of democracy is that sense of we're part of a community, a neighborhood, a city, a state, a nation, that we have some kind of common work to do, that we share something together, which is the work of being in community with each other. We have to kind of feel connected to each other before we feel connected to civic life.
0: Well, it's interesting because, you know, storytelling is arguably one of the original art forms. So to be able to just go back to that kind of creative ability to communicate with one another and uh, experience things that are similar and, and bond, I guess yeah
8: exactly. I mean, and what 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 could be easier than sitting around? These aren't stories of like, you know, trauma or of, um, you know, difficulty. these are our, our storytellers just are ready with prompts that are fun for people from different cultures, people of different ages to tell stories together. Um, some of the examples that they've shared with me already are, Um, the story of learning to ride a bike, the story of my first kiss, the story of uh, my name. How How did my parents choose my name or who chose my name and why? And these are stories that regardless of where you're from, and even with different languages, with the help of an interpreter, we could all share a story together. And, you know, we feel like by the end of a hour of sharing stories together, the the people who you're sitting with aren't strangers anymore, you have become a community, a community of shared story, right?
0: That's really lovely. And that's why it's happening now, right? Because we're sort of need of that
8: yeah well there's a yeah, lot we of needed and we're going to keep trying different ways to do it we have another event coming up in December we're having a another event in January a concert in February we we're, we're just doing a series of experiments on how to bring people together who. aren't just running into each other in the capital district um, and making it possible for them to run into each other learn a name. Maybe learn a little bit of a story, share some laughter together, and become a little more connected.
0: So you're going to be meeting in the parking lot at the church on, what is it, Chestnut? Yeah, so the
8: address, if you set your GPS, is 85 Chestnut Street. Now that's between State Street. uh, The church faces State Street. The parking lot is on Chestnut Street. It's between a uh, dove and lark right in center square in albany just a couple blocks from the the Capitol and from uh, rockefeller plaza it's 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 easy to find um
0: well i uh, think we will see it with the flames no
8: yeah well listen <laughs> i got to tell you if it's raining, which right now there's a 50% chance no. it will be, we will be around electric votives inside the church, okay. but we'll still be in circles telling stories, which is really what the event is about. So
0: the beginning of the event, will be sitting in, and we'll be hearing stories outside around the campfire. Then you're moving inside to have a more formal reading of stories or telling of stories? You got it. Yeah.
8: By some of the capital region's best uh, storytellers, some amazing people. Everybody's story relates to this idea of building community, uh, and they all have their own different take on it.
0: So that's going to be on which day? Saturday, Sunday?
8: Sunday afternoon, the 22nd of October, we start at three o'clock with a conversation club tables. That happens every week at the church. It's a chance for English language learners to just pair up with a native speaker to just practice English. That starts at three, but then at four o'clock, the stories around the campfire, and five o'clock, the indoor storytelling show.
0: Brilliant. So we'll look forward to that. Thanks so much, Heather. Is there something else? um, Oh, is there somewhere, a website we could get information if we need? Absolutely.
8: WPCAlbany.org
0: is the church's website,
8: and there's a link there to the uh, events uh, of Westminster Commons. You'll see this and all previous events.
0: Thanks, Heather. It's been great talking to you. I look forward to this weekend.
1: Thanks for your interest, Andrea great event thank you so much and to end tonight's show october 17th is black poetry day and for this week's for this week's poet spotlight tom francis welcomes anthony ragler featured poet at nitty gritty slam 85 at the low beat in albany new york this recording is from tuesday january 6th 2015
9: Anthony Ragler is an artist known for using persona and body movement to attack social stigmas. He was a member of the 2014 NYC Urbana Slam Team that placed second at the 2014 National Poetry Slam, as well as the 2013 Urban Word Slam Team that placed third internationally at the Brave New Voices Festival. Anthony has performed at numerous venues, including the United Nations, New Yorican Poets Cafe, Symphony Space, Lincoln Center, and the Apollo Theater. On Tuesday, January 6, 2015, he was the featured poet at Nitty Gritty Slam number 85 at the Low Beat in Albany. So when I was five, I almost drowned in sea. First thing I learned that day is that fear tastes just like salt. My overly religious grandmother, who always had a Bible verse caught in the back of her throat at the worst possible moment, yanks me out of the water and then says, Anthony, you're a miracle. You know this is how baby Moses was found, right? And then she starts joking that my life is now destined for saving people. So two weeks later, I opportunity to be sick on the day of my would-be baptism in her church because I'm afraid of drowning. To this day, I have not been baptized. but everyone expects me to be this anchor chasing the ocean floor. I'm the oldest of six siblings. I've learned to be the best friend, the parent, the diary, the patriarch, the example, and the scapegoat. My mother expects me to keep this steel-fixed smile, holding everything in place while I am free-falling. And anchor is never given a chance to breathe. I was only 18 years old when my daughter was born. She is a fragile little sailboat. <clears throat> and just like everything else in my family, I have to keep her fully. I hold her the way a window would hold, the imprint of a raindrop. Between her and her mother, I realize that every choice I make for the rest of my life could sink. All three of us at once, I feel like I'm just treading water. I'm not allowing myself to drown yet. I'm too far from a worthy obituary to do so. In anger, no matter how far It must fall will only serve one purpose, and it isn't allowed to bring anything else down with it. No one ever thanks an anchor for sacrificing itself for their greater goods. On rare occasions like birthdays and graduations, my family tells me they appreciate me, and I say thank you. I'm just trying to make you proud. What I mean to say is, I am an anchor that is trying to be your lighthouse. You know, I wonder if Moses ever got tired of people mistaking his struggles for prophecy. Maybe he just led the Jews because he knew that's what everyone expected of him, to be a savior before a person. Maybe parting the Red Sea was just his way of avoiding baptism. They say water is supposed to be this sign of purity, but to me, it's a sign of erosion. All of those things that try and break me down. So I stand firm while all the problems I've avoided wash back to shoreside. Make a staff out of this spine and separate the ocean from its salt, my responsibilities from my fears. My mother tells me I look like the reason she started drinking. (laughs) When my father left, she searched through his things to find traces of the next woman. A blonde strand of hair as if he were saying, I don't need you anymore. She found her first bottle of Hennessy and started chasing my father down to the bottom of it. These days, I can't tell my mother's sober from her slumber and all I want is to be the reason that she wakes up again the day the day of my first semester of college. We're driving and she is a slur of tears and alcohol telling me that this is everything she's ever dreamed of That now I'm becoming more than my father ever was because I'm leaving but unlike him I'm leaving for all of the right reasons. In the car, I fall asleep on a lullaby of my mother's approval. But when I wake up, I'm in a hospital bed. My neck is broken in four different places. The doctors wheel me over to my mother, where her bruises are the darkest shades of whiskey. She has so many nerve damages that I can see the last nerve she's clean. I have always gotten on tubes running through her entire body. My mother's injuries are so severe, they make mine look like nothing more than a scraped knee, and I am afraid of her dying before hearing how much I truly love her the day that she wakes out of her coma and returns home we we'll see that her left arm is paralyzed. But she is sober now and full of fight. She says this arm is a deadbeat father, hasn't held her back before, and she does not plan on starting today so our family does everything to make sure she never has to move a muscle again. But my mother always needs someone to meet her. She loves us by cooking an entire Thanksgiving dinner with one arm in the day that I tell her I'm ready to move into my own place. She says that I am just like my father. Mm -hmm. I tell her that this is different, that this is me leaving for all of the right reasons to be the man that she's raised me to be, but all she can hear is, I don't need you. don't feel like her proud son. I feel like a chaser to her next shot. Mm-hmm. The night of the verdict, we were parading through the East Village streets before we got the phone call. Silenced by the hush of a gathering through summer air was you. Our way to the L train, which on this night means luck, or loss, or lives, or law, as in we are lucky we have not lost our lives. The law will not protect us. All that matters now is suspicious because to them, suspicious is the gap between innocent and funeral. My brother is screaming that we as black people are an endangered species. He only sees red and thinks that this is the shadow of the target on his back. The white people on the train look at us like we are rambunctious bullets. They know not how far we're willing to take this protest. But here, I'm the only one not outraged. Because quite honestly, I ain't expecting that. here. Post-racial society, just a pretty way of saying hope for justice, but don't expect it. The older black man says, Y'all know no way to avoid being mistaken for hoodlums is to present yourselves better. Stay in school. And for God's sake, stop sagging your pants. As if we were the ones responsible for our own deaths." He good intention,
1: but horrendous delivery.
9: Telling 12 black youth that the system isn't
1: working against them. But they wouldn't call this a system
9: if it wasn't already working. Being black in America is just like being a grizzly on hunting grounds. Everyone is afraid of our claws, but claws won't do a thing against these bullets. So we drag our bodies out of the train where death weighs each and every one of us down. So one of our friends says... To keep it real with you, man, I just came here to party tonight. And I'm still just trying to have a good time. So we go out and we buy drinks. Like that, could numb this numb that we already aren't feeling. The night is plantation humid. And my friends, a mahogany carved flask, dancing their targets off into a drunken slur. This night has made lovers out of us lone wolves to us. This is the black Y2K. This, this is the beauty of my people. How we turn tragedy into celebration every single time. Something outside is trying and succeeding at killing us, but this this is the only way we know how to mourn our brother's death. So no, this is not the end of our lives. It's the beginning of the fight for them. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis.
0: And thank you, Tom, for sharing that with us. It was brilliant to hear your weekly uh, poetry segments. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Andrea Conlev.
1: And I'm Cena Basila-Hickey. We want to thank all the volunteers who made today's episode possible. Moses Nagel, Elizabeth E.P. Press, Mark Dunley, Tom Francis, I think we should also give a mention out to Brad and Kaelin who were helping to set this up. And, of course, my co-host, Andrea Cunliffe. That was a really great interview.
0: Well, we want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hudson Mohawk Magazine or send us an email to hmm at at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in each weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear the local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite pod- podcast platform. Well, we appreciate your listening. So until next time, thanks for tuning in.